The following is the OA preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive overeating and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Today, we will discuss OA's nine tools of recovery. My name is Bob, I'm compulsive overeater from North Vancouver, Canada. The tools of recovery. In working Overeaters Anonymous 12-step program of recovery from compulsive overeating, we have found that a number of tools are available to, to assist us. We use the tools on a regular basis to help us achieve and maintain abstinence and recovery from our disease. The tools of recovery, page one. First tool, a plan of eating. A plan of eating helps us, helps us abstain from compulsive eating. See the pamphlet, Dignity of Choice. This tool helps us deal with the physical aspects of our disease and achieve physical, physical recovery. Sponsorship. We ask a sponsor to help us through our program of recovery on all three levels, physical, emotional, spiritual. Meetings. Meetings give us an opportunity to identify our common problems, confirm our common solution through the 12 steps, and share the gifts we receive through this program. In addition to face-to-face -face meetings, OA offers telephone and online meetings, as well as Zoom meetings now, too. Uh, telephone. Many members call, text, or call, text, or email their sponsors and other OA members daily. Telephone and electronic contact also provides an immediate outlet for those hard to handle nights, highs and lows we may experience. Writing. Putting our thoughts and feelings down on paper helps us better understand our actions and reactions in a way that is often not re not revealed to us by simply thinking or talking about them. Literature. We need OA approved, sorry, we read OA approved books, pamphlets, and Lifeline magazine. Reading literature daily reinforces how to live the 12 steps and 12 traditions. Action plan. An action plan is a process of identifying and implementing attainable actions that are necessary to support our individual abstinence. Just like our plan, just like our plan of eating, it may be, it may vary widely among members and, uh, and may need to be adjusted to, to bring structure, balance, and manageability into our lives. Anonymity. Anonymity guarantees we will sorry anonymity guarantees we will place principles before personalities and, and ensures that we have the right to make uh sorry the right to make our membership known within our community anonymity anonymity at the level of press radio films television and other public media association means that we never allow our faces or 
or last names to be used once we identify ourselves as OA members. Within the fellowship, anonymity means that whenever we share with another OA member, member, we we be held, we will be held in respect and confidence. What we hear at meetings should should remain there. Service, any form of service that helps uh, that helps reach fellow. Sorry, any form of service that helps a fellow sufferer. I'm going to try it again. For some reason, I'm messing up on that. I do apologize. Any form of service that helps a reach fellow sufferer adds to the quality of our own recovery. Members can give service by getting by getting to meetings, putting away chairs, putting out literature, and talking to newcomers. Beyond the group level, a member can serve as intergroup representative, committee chair, regional representative, or conference delegate. As OA's responsibility pledge states, always to extend the hand and heart of AA to all who share my compulsion. For this, I am responsible. Thank you. Thank you so much. We appreciate that. And the following speakers were invi invited from various OA groups around the U.S. and represent recovery from the different manifestations of this disease, including compulsive overeating, binging, chewing and spitting, restricting, bulimia, anorexia, and more. Each speaker will have up to 10 minutes to qualify and speak on the, one of the tools of recovery. Um, I will give each speaker a two minute warning when it's time to wrap it up. So everyone, please, uh, please join me in wel welcoming our first speaker, Aaron from New York. Thank you, Lisa. And hi everyone, I'm Aaron. I'm a compulsive overeater currently in New York City. Uh, thank hi, you, Rashad for asking me to speak. And I'll apologize to those who can see me on video. I'm leaning out of frame because my dog is trying to guard the hallway. Um, uh, there are some workmen apparently working. So I might duck out, but I should, my audio should be fine. Um, to qualify, uh, I have been coming to OA since the fall of 2011. My absence date is February 1st of 2012, which I like because it's 2112 and I, I, I like symmetry. I like I like when things work, um, and I am going to uh, I am going to take a moment here for those on the video to share uh, one of my photos because um, quite frankly people don't believe me uh, anymore. So this is me somewhere around 2004, uh, 2005, and this is me somewhere in the area of 300 pounds. Um, I did not like this picture when it was first taken. I did not like uh, seeing it after it developed. It was taken back in time when you had to develop photos. Um, today, it is my favorite photo of myself. I absolutely adore it. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a little bit about me. So uh, today, I'm here to share about the tool of plan of eating. And so for the fun of it, I went to the literature. I picked up the OA 12 and 12. I've got the second edition, which is the one I worked through to do my steps. And I flipped to the index at the back and I looked up a uh, meal plan, which it doesn't have. So then I went and looked for plan of eating and it directed me to one uh, sentence on page 24 of the second edition where it says, as we work the steps using the tools of the program, a plan of eating, sponsorship, meetings, 
telephone, writing, literature, action plan, anonymity, and service, we find the help we need. And that is what the OA 12 and 12 has to say about the tool of the plan of eating. And I point this out because one of the first things that I like to make clear, the first two things I like to remind myself of and I wanna share with others is, my plan of eating is not my abstinence and my plan of eating is not my program. My plan of eating is my tool to keep me miles away from the lines of my abstinence and to keep my struggles with food from activating my obsession and allowing me to get distracted by food and to not improve my conscious contact with a power greater than myself. So I just wanna start off by saying there's a lot of talk, you know, as a compulsive overeater, I love making plans of eating. I made hundreds of plans of eating before I got into program. I made plans of eating based on the change your life in 12 week guidebooks. I made plans of eating based on the, this is how people who have 500 pounds of muscle eat. I made plans of eating based on this is how ballerinas eat. I made plans of eating based on this is what the person who's been nominated for a best actor Oscar eats. I love making my plan of eating. My obsession is activated, especially if you let me start doing what I call food math. Um, I, I love it. Give me a spreadsheet. Let me calculate the date on which I want to weigh a perfect, a perfect number. Let me calculate how many calories I need to consume and expend to get to that number on that date. I mean, I'm like playing pool with my weight. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to call my shot. Um, I love making plans of eating. I absolutely despise sticking to my plan of eating. I do not like eating according to my plan of eating. I do not like following my plan of eating. I love making it. So when I got into OA, uh, one of the first things I had to do was find a sober way to eat. I was eating compulsively. I was eating emotionally. I was eating to distract myself. I was eating to check out. I was, I was eating for all sorts of reasons, all of which were based on the fact that I want to eat. I will need distraction in order to create a need for food. I will need, I, I will create the sensations of hunger. I will create the sensations of fear. So if I want to confront those feelings, if I want to confront this spiritual malady that I have. If I want to confront this thing that is sitting between me and a power greater than myself, I need to get the food out of the way. So in, in collaboration with a sponsor, we uh, agreed on an abstinence, which for me uh, was three meals a day. One plate of food is one meal. Uh, my sponsor likes the phrase meals have beginnings, middles, and ends. That was one of the guidance I got. Uh, and after dinner, eating is over. If I finish dinner at six o'clock in the evening and then I get called to the hospital and I must sit in a hospital bed next to a family member or friend or I need to go on some long journey or I get stranded in an airport, I still will not be eating until it is breakfast time the next day. That is my commitment in OA. That is my commitment to my abstinence. Now, I have a meal plan which has evolved and developed over my years in a way, which means I'm never actually like walking on the edge of the cliff next to that abstinence. I'm, I'm rarely ever in a situation where I'm just like one bite away from breaking my abstinence. My sponsor used to like to say, you know, uh, well, I'll tell this story. So in coming up with my meal plan, my, again, I like making meal plans. Um, I, talked to my uh, therapist, I talked to some other people, and I decided what I wanted was an app, an app that sat on my phone in which I would enter what I ate, and I could calculate the little calories, and I could calculate the numbers, and 
uh, I would know when I had reached my limit of food for a 24 hour period because the numbers would hit the limit and that's how I knew I was done. And my sponsor said, uh, he didn't like that and that had never worked for him. Now I'd asked this man to share with me what worked for him. And he said, that doesn't work for him. Uh, he said if it, that puts him in a position where he still is in, in some way in control of the food and he still gets to negotiate. Like that tells his brain and it tells my brain, oh, if I get 2000 calories, if I want to eat all 2000 right now, that's fine. And then I'll just white knuckle it until the next day, which is not a sane and sober way to deal with my food. So we talked about it. We went back and forth. When I tell the story, we went back and forth for two weeks. When he tells the story, we went back and forth for a few months. I honestly was, you know, early in program, who knows what was going on. I, I tend to believe him. But we went back and forth and we decided food math was not going to help me. Things that were going to leave me in charge were not going to help me. So we came up with a different plan of eating. Uh, guidelines that I could use if my phone ran out of battery. Guidelines that I could use to know that I was having equally sized, same proportioned meals uh, throughout the day. That's kind of where the one plate came from and the three meals. Since then, snacks have been added. Um, and we agreed on what the contents of a meal might be. For me, my meal plan includes like a definition of how much protein and how many vegetables I, want, I can have. It includes limits of that kind, which also keep me very, very, very far away from my abstinence, very far away from falling over the cliff. Um, my sponsor likes to say, you know, if, if, when we start negotiating with the food, when, when I get in there and I say, I wanna start calculating or I wanna start controlling things, he'd say, you're not, you're not in the water yet, but you're walking right at the shoreline and getting getting splashed a little bit. Like you're, you're you know, you and at any moment you could fall in from that. So I like to share with people that like I I don't treat my meal plan as my program, and I don't treat my meal plan um, as something so brittle and so delicate that that one misstep means I am I am back minutes. to zero. Thank you, Lucanne. You're welcome. Um, and the other thing is my meal plan, uh, the other thing I like to share is my meal plan is, is always created in collaboration with other members of OA. So the last thing that I will share when it comes to meal plan, my meal plan is not the, the perfect way to eat. My meal plan is not uh, what is the healthiest way for me to eat. My doctor might prefer that I, I have a little bit more of this or a little bit less of that. Um, my meal plan is the same way that I eat. One of the ways that this showed up for me is that I drink more coffee than I, I think any human being should, but I like it. I drink coffee is what I do. Um, at one point, I actually stopped drinking coffee for uh, almost an entire year. And when I was about a week or two into that, I went to my fellows and I said, well, I've stopped drinking coffee. I figure I should add it to my absence. My fellows said to me, why? <laughs> And I said, well, I'm not doing it anymore, so it should be on the absence list. They said, so what? You're not drinking coffee. Sounds like a healthy choice. Sounds like something you can make a healthy choice about. That doesn't sound to me like something that needs to be on your meal plan. It doesn't sound to me like something that needs to be on your absence. It sounds to me like that's one of the gifts of program. You have gotten to a place where you could make a decision. I will or will not have this thing. And it's not, you're not obsessing over it. You're not desperately trying not to drink coffee. You're not desperately trying to get it back. You have made, you've been given a, a place of neutrality. It, you, it, you know, you've lost 100 pounds with coffee. If you decide you don't want to drink it today, you have the freedom of that choice. Let's not clutter things up. Let's not make your abstinence so narrow that you're going to fall off it at the next uh, at the next turning point. So I have a lot of good support around this idea. This is a tool. As long as this tool is serving me and giving me sane boundaries within which I can live my life, 
it is a plan. Um, my, it includes what I would do uh, if I were offered free food at work. You know, I know how to select from my options so that I have sane, abstinent meals. Uh, it, it allows me to go to, out to family gatherings. It allows me to order from a restaurant. Um, I share any change I make with fellows. Everything I do in my food time. is available for inspection. Um, and as long as I have been following this plan, which has kept me away from the foods that I have a problem with, I have gotten to live a life uh, as if I don't have a problem with food. And it has cleared the way for me to work the steps and work the program. So thank you for letting me share. Thank you so thank much. Thank you so Erica. much. So good to see you. I miss you at Light a Candle, dude. Uh, you too, Lisa. Thank you. Okay. Um, please welcome our second speaker, one of my favorite people as well, Matt from Los Angeles. Um, he will share on his experience with sponsorship. Matt from LA. Hi, guys. Uh, my name is Matt. I'm a I'm a compulsive overeater. Rashad, you only have 680 people in here. I'm sorry that the meeting flopped today. I'm, I'm sorry for that. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, so I have 13 years of abstinence. I'm down 160 pounds from my top weight. And my top weight was 340 pounds. And uh, I came into this program pretty young. I came in around 21. So everyone in the program immediately became my, my parent in a way or my grandparent, depending on who, who they were. And um, here's the thing about sponsorship is my sponsor said to me, he said, if you don't have a resentment against me, then I'm not doing my job. That's the first thing he said to me. And I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of truth behind that because for me, my experience with sponsorship has been about, it's about someone encouraging me to try to do things differently. And the thing is about, you know, the tools, the, the program is working the steps. That is the, that is the program. The tools are how we, how we, like the things, the tools are exactly that, tools in which we use to help us work the steps of the program. And here's the thing about sponsorship. I, I always love it when a newcomer says like, well, like, can I just do it by myself? <laughs> like, no. Um, and uh, uh, the thing is, is you look at step one, we admitted we're powerless over food and our lives have become unmanageable. So, and step two and step three, this whole idea of turning my life over to the care of God, you know, for me, it comes down to, you know, trusting my sponsor is not my higher power, but I can trust in the experience of someone else. And in hearing someone else's experience, I can also experience a higher power because I get to hear how they came to have that experience. And in, um, in We Agnostics, it says, uh, the main purpose of this book is to enable you to find a power that can solve, yeah, sorry. That its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. And one of the first things when I would call my sponsor every day, I call him about this, I call him about that. First he'd say, go call three people and then call me. That's one thing he would tell me. So he taught me how to find my own autonomy in my recovery. But then also he would bring me back to it's about me finding a power greater than myself that can solve my problems. And I never had anyone teach me that. I was always taught that like, you can't trust yourself. You can't this, you can't that. And early in recovery, it's about, you know what, I'm an addict. And part of my recovery is admitting that I don't have sanity in these different areas of my life. And the whole thing about sponsorship too is step 12 is if we have a spiritual experience, we carry the message to other people. So it's this beautiful interconnected circle that sponsorship gives us in our recovery 
And the important thing is, is like just as much as a newcomer goes to a meeting to hear a message, as a sponsor, we go to a meeting to carry the message. And I think that's another important thing that I've had to keep in mind is like when I'm there as a man in recovery who has worked the 12 steps, my job as much as it might be for me to like have my three minutes and to get my shit off my chest, it's also my opportunity to carry the message. And my first sponsor said to me, one minute on the problem, two minutes on the solution. So like these were the things that my sponsor gave me early on in my recovery that, that um, were really powerful for me. I've had multiple sponsors in this program. I'm really grateful for my first sponsor. He was also in Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. And there are a lot of things on my sex inventory that he was able to help me through. So for me, a huge part of, of recovery in this program is about finding someone that I can be willing to be vulnerable and intimate with. And that's been a huge key to my recovery here. I also, my, I'm going to just share with you some things that my sponsor did for me. And I think that's, they say, find someone who has what you want and ask them how they got it. My first sponsor, he, he talked, he talked really great recovery and he was thin. That's what I wanted early on in my recovery. And, uh, and he, he was an amazing father figure in my life and, and helped me a lot. And uh, my second sponsor, he was a tough guy. He, he came from a hardcore AA background. He was no bullshit. You know, he, he, uh, He's the one that told me, he goes, listen, he goes, um, what do you say? He said, if you think any, he goes, listen, Matt, no one's thinking about you. Probably not even your own mother. Like that's the kind of, that's the kind of thing that, that kind of sponsorship that, that I was, that helped me that I needed at the time. So, so the different sponsors I've had over time all were reflective of like where I was at. And then there was a point where that relationship got a little too volatile for me and I had to find another sponsor. And it was a sign of my own personal growth in my recovery. Um, somebody said to me early on too, I, my sponsor took me on a field trip and we went to an AA meeting and afterwards we went to fellowship and they were gonna answer all my questions about the program. And they go, we're willing to give you the one thing right now that we can't get back. So we want you to honor it and respect it. And I'm like, they're like, do you know what that is? I said, no, I don't know. And they're like, it's our time. Our time is the one thing we can give you that we can't ever get back. And so it really, hit me really early on in my recovery that if I'm going to work with a sponsor, if I'm going to have my weekly calls with him, I have to take responsibility that they're giving me their greatest gift, which is their time and their experience and to honor it, to respect it. And when I, when it came time for me to start sponsoring, I sponsored. And here's the thing about sponsorship too. Like, you know, I started sponsoring at 30 days, 60 days. And, and you know what? The, you get to see where people are at. Like I, I would now as a, as someone with 13 years, I would never choose anyone with 60 days of recovery to sponsor. Me. So I mean, like you could also just see like people, you sponsor almost at the level that you're at and you get to see, you get to see where you're at in your own sponsorship. I I've also really learned how to be human as a sponsor. I've gotten really agitated with sponsees. You know, I had one sponsee call me an ass one time and I was like, what? I've never had a sponsor. I've never called my sponsor that. And I, I've had to learn how to set healthy boundaries. And I've, I've had to learn as a sponsor how to, how to, uh, how to make amends when I, when I don't show up for a sponsee in, 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 in a loving way. And um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm not working with that guy anymore who called me an ass. That didn't go very far. Um, but I, I also, you know, I also got to grow up in this fellowship too. And some of these things are not like classic, 
you know, oh, this is the most spiritual way to do it. But I think that my sponsor, a good sponsor knows what you need. And I was a people pleaser my whole life. I was such a people pleaser. And he said to me one day, he goes, Matt, sometimes you just need to learn how to tell people to F off and then you can just make amends to them later. And, and it was this greatest sense of freedom that gave me that, oh my God, like even in recovery, I can be imperfect. Even in recovery, I can learn how to grow and to change. And it's like, that's the kind of sponsorship I want. And, um, and uh, I also, uh, <laughs> that's a crazy sponsorship. And, the, and, and there's, uh, I had had some issues with someone in the fellowship. I was on the board. I was on the board very early in my recovery, which is a whole other story. Um, but I, there was a person on the board that I felt had really treated me very badly. And, um, and they did. There were some things that were inappropriate. And, and I saw this person at an event and I was very upset and I was le I walked out and I was very upset. My sponsor followed me. <laughs> he goes, do you need to go back in there and tell him to F off? I'm like, what do you mean? No, I'm not. He goes, do you need to go? Two minutes, Matt. Thank you. He goes, do you need to go back in there and, 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 and tell that person that? So like my whole point in, in sharing all the, and I, I didn't because I just, I didn't have the nerve to do that. But um, because I didn't want to have to make amends to her. <laughs> but the thing is, for me, this is the value of a relationship like this. It's that growing. It's that nurturing of all the different parts of us. And at the end of the day, it's all about working the steps. It's all about working the steps and sharing our experience, strength, and hope. My sponsor told me that, you know what, when you ask, he goes, you can ask me this and you can ask anyone else that. If someone is telling you what to do, you get to ask them, what is their experience with that? And if they don't have it, you get to tell them to go away. Even my own sponsor said that to me. That's how valuable these relationships are. It's about simply sharing our experience, strength, and hope because that is something that we can trust in. I currently work with a sponsor who does not live in LA. He's in Colorado. I call him every day. We say the serenity prayer every day together. And I was going through a really rough time. I believe it was a breakup, one of my many breakups in recovery. <laughs> and, uh, and he said to me, he goes, Matt, you are an important person with important things to say and do today. He said, Matt, you are an important person with important things to say and do today. And he said that to me, and I immediately started to just cry. And you know what? It was someone marrying back to me my self-worth and my dignity as a man and as a person in recovery, and that I matter. And that is the value of sponsorship in this program. That is the value of recovery that we get to share with each other in this program. And I say that to my sponsees all the time now. You're an important person with important things to say and do today. And it's amazing how many people don't get to hear that. And it really is. Um, I think I'm going to actually just end with that. I'm really grateful to be here. Thank you for asking me to share. I'm so grateful to see so many people from all over the world looking for recovery and OA and wanting to use the tools. Thank you. Thank you so much, Matt. Good to see you. It's been a while. Um, okay, moving right along. Uh, let's welcome our third speaker, Bronte, who's going to speak on her experience with attending meetings. Bronte, please unmute yourself. I'll let you know when you have two minutes. Thank you. Hi, everyone. I'm Bronte. I'm a compulsive reader. Uh, thank you, Rashad, for asking me to speak. And for the intergroup for, for putting this event together, it's really, really incredible. And um, my experience with meetings, or just to qualify real quick, I came into the rooms about five and a half years ago. Um, I was 21, it's my senior year of college. And um, I had been through, I had gotten to a point of 
of desperation where I felt like my whole life I had just been restricting, trying to get to the perfect body weight, um, constantly weighing myself, using multiple apps, using multiple nutritionists, using multiple diets to just get to that number and that belief that once I got to that number, my life would be perfect and I would be fixed and I could start to live in the way I thought all my Nicole S, can you mute yourself, please? Do you have a big pee pee or a little pee pee? Um, my experience with my first meeting, I was a senior in college. I was in going to school in Boston, and um, I had a family member who was in recovery at that time and so I saw his relationship with recovery and meetings and um, I thought that like if I like surrender to this program or if I come to this program or I had a lot of judgment about OA before even coming to OA and my therapist had told me about um, about OA and my first thing was like I'm never gonna call myself a compulsive overeater like I had so much judgment around that word I had so much judgment about the name over years anonymous and um, it really stopped me for a while to coming to the rooms and going to my first meeting until I hit a point of desperation where it was the first time that I tried to make myself throw up and it really scared me it really scared me and I finally surrendered and I was I felt like I had hesitation of like oh my god I'm gonna have this for the rest of my life or I'm gonna have to go to meetings for the rest of my life like I thought by coming into program I was losing my life and I really didn't realize that I was actually gaining a life. And so when I went to my first meeting, it was the first time that I heard people speaking the insanity that was going on in my head. And I really felt so alone. And there was so much darkness in my head. There was so much like calculations, manipulation, like negotiations. I was living with this loud debate team that just wouldn't shut up and I didn't know how to turn it off. And I felt like it was only me. And so, one of the huge gifts of meetings is being able to show up and being able to have people relate to me. When I go to a meeting and I share my truth and I get to be vulnerable and I see people nodding at me and I see people relating, I know that I'm not alone. And I never had that experience growing up. Like I tried to figure this thing out on my own with my family for years. And it was just like this constant battle and like, I know my family was trying to help me in the best way that they could. And, but it's like, there's nothing like the gift of another compulsive overeater relating to another compulsive overeater. And sometimes they don't even need to like say anything. It's just like, I relate, like I got you, I've been there. And it's like, oh my God, like, I don't feel like uh, there's something wrong with me. And um, I don't feel like I'm alone. And especially like now and since like I guess the meetings have changed and like we're on zoom meetings right now it's it's very easy for me to like think like oh like I can just like sit on the sidelines or I can like show up on the zoom meeting and like not show my face or it's fine like I'm still showing up to the meeting but it's a different experience where I sit down I turn my screen on I turn my video and I allow people to see me like I thought like 
before I came into program, like I just, I just knew how to stay small. I knew how to hide. I felt like everybody else could like live this life and be happy and be joyous. And it's like, I just didn't know how to be happy and I didn't know how to be seen and I didn't know how to be vulnerable. And so when I come to meetings and I show my face, especially like on Zoom meetings, I get to be accountable. And when I share and like the gift of sharing and the gift of saying like, my name is Bronte, I'm a compulsive overeater. Like, even though I had so much resistance to saying that, it's like every time I admit that, I'm admitting I'm powerless over food and my life is when I don't go to a meeting and I and I don't share and I don't get to say those words that I am a compulsive overeater I forget like I forget that I have this disease I want to take my will back I think I could do things like everybody else and then my head starts to get a little bit sneaky and it's like oh maybe I can do this and maybe I could do a little bit of that or maybe I should like work out a little bit more like what does she look like what do I need to do like it starts spinning and when I go to meetings I I hear my truth, I get to relate to somebody else, and I get to be part of a fellowship. I hear God when I go to meetings, and meetings are just like one of the tools that have helped me um, find recovery, and what has really helped me also is going to meetings where I get to hear literature, and I get to hear the steps, because I need to be reminded constantly that that there is a solution and that I don't have this and I can't figure it out by myself and I can't do it alone. And so jumping into to meetings, when I first came in, I, um, I went to, I think like a meeting a day. Sometimes I would go to two meetings a day. And right now I go to three to five meetings a week and I'm in another program. So I go to meetings in that program too, but it's, it's a way for me to fill up my spiritual bank account so I can show up for the rest of my life. And I still show up to meetings, like, even though I have those days where I do feel good. And even though maybe my head wants to tell me, like, oh, you're fine. Like, you don't need a meeting today. But like, I go, I show up, I take commitments, I do the things that I've heard people do to get abstinent and find recovery. And I listened. And, um, and I, and I did the work, and um, it's not like, it's not like a, I thought, <laughs> my sponsor told me, like, early on coming in, she was like, um, she's like, recovery, recovery is inconvenient, and, and we go to any lengths to get recovery, and it's true, and right now, and in my life today, like, I am willing to go to any lengths to get recovery, because I went to any lengths to, to, in my disease. Like, I remember one time I was, <laughs> I was in Boston in the middle of like a snowstorm. And like, I trekked to this diet center because it's like, I thought that was the thing that was going to fix me. Like, I went to any lengths to just get fixed. And right now it's like, there is a spiritual solution. There is something greater than me that can fill this void inside of me. And I really didn't believe that I would find freedom from the voices in my head that were telling me to hurt myself, that were telling me that I'm not okay, that were telling me that if I just get the right diet. Two minutes, Bronte. Thank you, Lisen. If I just get the right diet and if I just get to this exact number, then like I will be okay. And um, OA has really, really saved my life. 
right now I, I don't wake up in that morning with in the morning with that crazy of like how am I going to get skinny today or like how am I going to lose the weight and um and it is a challenging time right now it's really hard not to have those like face-to-face -face meetings and to give people a hug and to take service commitments and to have that fellowship like before and after meetings but there's another like silver lining where we get to do have meetings like this and be connected with people from all over the world and it's a really really incredible gift i'm so grateful for my life today meetings program recovery steps sponsor all of it has really saved my life and um thank you for letting me share thank you so much bronte great job good to see you so we will now observe the seventh tradition the LA Intergroup suggests that you continue to contribute as we still have operating expenses, including rent for the OA office and the subscription costs of this Zoom service. Please go to www.donate.oalaig.org for a direct link to our PayPal account. Any amount is accepted and appreciated. If you are joining us from outside of the LA area, we encourage you to donate to the Intergroup that supports your local fellowship. Nancy, do you want to unmute yourself and read the 12 traditions on your screen? Yes. I'm Nancy Thank P, compulsive eater, 100 pounds. OA 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group consciousness. Our leaders are but trusted servants that do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thanks so much, Nancy. Good to see you. We are moving on to our fourth speaker today, Jen from Colorado. She will share her experience um, using the telephone in recovery. Jen, welcome. I'll let you know when you have two minutes. Perfect. Thank you so much. My name is Jen A, and I am a gratefully recovered compulsive overeater, anorexic, and bulimic um, here in Colorado. Um, by God's grace and mercy, he took a 220-pound girl down who was down to 126 pounds 
and um, brought her to a normal body size. Um, and that's who I am today. Um, and it's not just the sanity in the size of my body, it's the sanity in my head. I'm forever grateful for that. Um, thank you for giving me the opportunity to share on the telephone. Um, I will just say I do have the gift of gab, <laughs> um, but that's not what the tool of the telephone is for. And, um, you know, I love how it's been said today. I, I was listening um, to like the intro before they read all the tools. And really what it tells me is that I'm going to use these tools in my toolbox to help me achieve and maintain abstinence and recovery. See, the, the tools are not the steps. The tools will not get me well. But I will tell you that um, I work in a retirement community and we have um, people who need help, handrails. Um, and all of our stairwells and steps have handrails. And so the visual picture I like to think is the tools are the handrails that allow me and guide me to get up. Now I can tell you um, my experience is that um, when I first came into Overeaters Anonymous and I started using the tools, um, I was still drunk, drunk in the food. I didn't know what all of my substances were. Now, I don't know if you've ever really seen a drunk try and get up the stairs, but regardless if there's stairs with handrails, a drunk's not going to get up those stairs very well. So I have to be reminded that if I put my food and my substances down, my behaviors, and I leave those at the bottom of the stairs, it's going to be a lot easier for me to get to the top. So I love how we're like building with these tools on our recovery. Um, we've also been talking about uh, uh, prior to this, that there's a spiritual solution. I like what Matt said about one minute of the problem, two minutes of solution. And I'm taking that to my phone um, to my phone calls because in, you know, I need to know that there is a solution and the solution is what, um, on page 25 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it tells me right here, it says, when therefore we are approached by those in whom the problem that had been solved, those are the people that you hear that are recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, there was nothing left for us to do, but what pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools. So that's the 12 steps, um, and that's what we do. And in the meantime, as we're sponsoring, as we're going to meetings, as we have that plan of eating that's been talked about so far, what are we doing? We're using the phone. Um, I'm just gonna go back to how it was when I first started on the phone um, when Overeaters Anonymous. I don't know about you, but um, I grew up in the 80s with the big, heavy telephones, you know, with the, the spin dial and the receiver. Um, that to me is like a thousand pounds. Those were heavy. You couldn't really drag them around. Today we're walking around with flip phones, little phones, iPhones, whatever phones. Um, today you would think it would be a lot easier. For the compulsive overeater who still suffers, it is hard to pick up the thousand pound phone, whether it's an iPhone um, or a regular telephone. Um, today I will tell you the phone for me is light as a feather. Even when I do have work to be done and I need to talk to somebody because I need to get the work done. It's a transitional process that happens over time. So um, the phone is good, what? At the beginning when I started Overeaters Anonymous, um, they gave me this phone list and they said, call people on the phone list and connect with people outside of meetings. Okay, I never did it. My sponsor said, here's my number. I only met with her face to face once a week. And so I never even picked up the phone to call her unless guess what? I needed to be a part of the BMC club. Hey Jen, I'm, gonna, uh -huh. I'm so sorry to stop you. Can you mute yourself and then unmute yourself again? We're getting some feedback and I just wanted to see if it, if it's your phone. Or, or if you're using oh like a special, or if you're using like headphones or, or a microphone or something, there's this weird kind of crackly noise. 
It might be rubbing up against your clothing. Nancy, can you mute yourself? Nancy D. Thanks. Okay, is that is that better? It's a, yes, I believe okay. it is. Thank I'll keep you. talking. I do have my headphones on, but I've done this several times. If it continues to be a problem, let me know and I'll just pull them out. It it actually it be, started again. I'm so it sorry. Be, it may be your earring hitting the microphone on your headphone. <laughs> ah. Oh, danglers. Okay. You know, I don't I don't come to LA unless I'm bougie. I just want you to know that. I've been taught by the best. So okay. I will take my earrings out. Okay, is that better? Can everybody hear me now? It's good. Thank you. Perfect. It's, it's hard to be glammy. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'll be a little less glam. Okay. Thanks for everybody and your problem solving. Okay. So where were we? Okay. So um, I got the phone list. I, I would not call people. In fact, I didn't call my sponsor unless I needed to be a part of the BMC club. That's not Overeaters Anonymous. It's called Bitch, Moan, and Complain. That's what I would do. I would call and I would think somebody on this phone list is going to listen to me and my problems. I didn't know there was a solution. I didn't want to hear the solution. I heard the mess in the meetings, so I continued with the mess on the phones. And that's what happened for me. Um, you know, until, until I was told about and I was given etiquette, phone etiquette, right? We use the phone to reach out to others to do what? Well, it wasn't until I started actually doing the work and reading and taking the steps and I had put down all my substances that I began to use the phone correctly. And I would call people and say, hi, this is Jenny from Colorado. Um, might you have a minute? Uh, may I speak to you? I'd ask them first, right? And then after that, they'd say, yes, I do have time. And then I would let them know, A, where I was in the work and in the program so that they would know who I was and where I was at so that they could best serve me with their experience, strength, and hope, right? And then from doing that, then I could have a conversation with these people. Um, I've taken a lot of phone calls, just like we hear a lot of sponsors. We've gone to a lot of meetings, right? And so I just so appreciate good phone etiquette. So that's one thing that I always try and teach sponsees. Um, it allows me to use a phone and identify in with others. Yeah, I identify in with meetings. But when I hear someone on a Zoom meeting, on a phone meeting, um, whatever it might be today, those are the people that I want to call. I want to hear from those people who have recovered, those people who have the solution. I want to know how they recovered. Um, and I'm also going to learn from them. I am a huge component of the we not the me, right? I came in here as an individual. I am now as part of a group of Overeaters Anonymous. I learn more from all of you. I've learned so much today and taken copious amounts of notes that, you know, it's really important for me to be listening um, and, and to know that, you know, the biggest thing is that I don't want to be sponsor reliant or reliant on um, a certain one person. I want to be able to call a group of people. And then the second thing I learned is that I want to, I want to be able to rely on more than just my sponsor. So I'm going to call other people. And what am I going to do? I'm going to build a tribe of people around me. The tribe is so important because why? Because guess what? There's one solution, and as you can see on this line today, just over the steps, there's many voices, many voices of people who have one year, four years, 14 years, 20 years of recovery. And I'm going to gain so much more from hearing those many voices, um, but that one solution when I decide to pick up the phone. So as a sponsor, 
I really encourage and suggest to sponsees, you know, as we're going through the work, call people, get to know them, see who, who you jive with, who's got the vibe in your tribe, and who do you want to make part of your recovery? And you will know who those people are, right? And that, and that vibe in that tribe is going to change because there's people that get picked off because they're not running in the herd. I want to be in the middle of the herd. I want strong tribe members and I want to be, I want to be accountable and I want to hold others accountable to this work and what we say we're going to do on a daily basis um, between God and our fellows. Um, the other thing I'll just talk about is um, the phone is also um, an extension of my 10 steps. Um, and so I would, I just will say this in the inventory, right? And a lot of the sponsoring that I do, I would say 90 95% of it is on the phone. Um, I've sponsored uh, one person in person. That sounds kind of funny. But the reality is, is I'm connecting with people on the line from coast to coast and continent to continent. WhatsApp, this app, um, Boxer, whatever it may be, that's huge for me. Um, and so I like to just make sure, um, you know, that I'm doing that. Um, the phone okay, is also- more minutes. Perfect. I'll wrap it up in two minutes by talking about texting. Um, and texting is a huge component of this also. Um, when we text, it's always polite. Again, etiquette. Um, let the person know who you are, what time zone you're calling from. Um, do you have a time in which we could talk? Um, don't vomit all your information on a text message, right? Um, we know that people are hurting and that people need to talk, but it's really good to connect with a voice instead of just words. And it's so hard to read text messages. I think we're all aware of that. Um, texting is a, another tool where um, if you're a sponsor like myself and you ask your sponsee to just be accountable and share their plan of eating every day as just to be um, in a regimen, um, you know, you could do that as well. It's a, it's a tool to send that. Um, it's not a tool for me to send pictures of how skinny I am, how fat I am. Um, that's not what I'm using this texting tool for, but it's just a tool and a way to reach out to people. Um, so I really just think that, um, you know, it's a great opportunity, especially right now during COVID. Um, I have not seen any one person from Overeaters Anonymous, except for my sweetheart, <laughs> um, in program. Um, so I love to just put on my screen and flip through all the people on my phone, on the Zoom meetings, to know that there's others out there like me. Um, and that I get to connect with all of you. Thank God we have this tool today, right? Think of when, um, when I visited um, uh, Bill and Lois's house um, up in New York this last fall, and there was the table uh, in the kitchen where they sat. That was their method of face-to-face of -face connection, meeting, sitting down together. I know that we all enjoy that and we all want that back. Um, so with God's grace and his timing, we will get that. But in the meantime, we just continue to connect. FaceTime with your sponsor every once in a while. It's, it's not terrible. I did it with a sponsor yeah, at 4.30 in the morning. So, um, yeah, thanks for having me today. And um, that's it. I'll pass. Thank you so much. Our next speaker um, is sharing on the tool of writing. Tracy from Los Angeles, please unmute yourself. I'll let you know when you have two minutes. I'm Tracy sugar addict and exercise bulimic. I am talking on the tool of writing. Um, when I first came into program, I actually came into how. I didn't even know that there was a difference. Um, and in that program, you have if you have a sponsor, you have to answer a question every single day. Like 
every day. So I wrote every day because that was all I knew. Um, and then after maybe a year, I transferred into regular OA and it became an option. And so I stopped writing <laughs> because, um, you know, I was kind of in a rebellious place at that time. Um, I wanted the help. And yet at the same time, I was still like, I want to do it my way. So, um, you know, the ebb and the flow with my relationship with writing um, has definitely been a constant. Right now, 10 years into program, um, I'm absolutely loving writing. Uh, I write every morning and it's something that just totally clears my slate for the day. I don't know about you guys, but like when I wake up in the morning, my head just like, it goes like before my eyes are opened, it's going. And, um, it's funny, you know, I would normally, I, I, I don't know if it's so much today, but most of my life I've had a really solid type A personality and, you know, I just want to go, 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 do, do, do more projects, more structure, uh, more responsibilities, more commitments. Like I just want to, I just wanted to keep busy. And so anything that made me calm down for a minute and like stop like writing, um, I just didn't want to do it. I was resistant to it. So uh, I feel like I'm finally in a place. I mean, over the last 10 years, I've definitely, depending on who my sponsor is, I've definitely um, been like a solid writer. And then I've just like ghosted writing altogether. I mean, for months at a time, like no writing. Um, and today I don't feel like I'm in that rebellious state anymore. I feel like, you know, I, I'm choosing this for myself. It's not, you know, something that is being kind of put upon me. It doesn't feel like an imposition. I actually feel like it's, it's self-care today. So, uh, writing for me has become so crucial. I will say that my writing in the morning is kind of like this just solid stream of consciousness. It's just like free flow. There's really no solid intent or purpose behind it except to just dump what I've, I've woken up with. Like that's, that's my first thing with writing. Then if I have a problem or a crisis or a decision, I'm not really sure, um, you know, what I want to do about it. I will write a letter to God. And then my sponsor has me write a letter from God back to myself. When I first was given that suggestion, um, I was really irritated because I just thought it sounded so silly. And I'm like, well, how, how am I, how's he going to write me a letter back? Like I'm writing a letter. Um, but today there's something that happens when I write the letter to God, I'm like, I'm totally Tracy. I'm in the letter. I'm writing about the problem. I, I need my higher powers help. And then there's like a softening that happens when I switch over to writing the letter from God. And it's just like this loving, kind, compassionate, gentle um, person shows up who writes this letter from God back to me. And I have to tell you, like, there's really never been a time, at least in the last few years that I've written to God, that I didn't get the answer back in my writing from God. And that is like, so cool 
I mean, it is so, so powerful. Um, so that's, that's a really big one for me too. Um, another thing about writing that I love is writing on little post-its and putting it in my God box. Um, so I will, my sponsor will have me write down what I'm powerless over. And, um, and then I take and say the next, you know, two to three steps and I just put it in my God box. I've written it out. It's no longer, you know, mine to worry about. And so that's a really wonderful, um, tool within the tool of writing for me as well. And then I've done some outside, um, things, which I won't speak about on here, but they're kind of like just different structures and ways to go about writing a letter to anyone that um, I've had a resentment towards. And that has been super, super cathartic. Um, I know there's not a lot of talk around structure around writing in OA or any 12-step program really, um, but I, I do encourage like people to look and find what works for them within writing. Because I know sometimes when I've just been told, you know, go journal about it, go write about it. Um, I need a little bit more structure. I need maybe some prompts. And, and so that's why sometimes, you know, I'll go back to the ones that I was given in, in how OA, and those are really helpful to me. So writing for me, I think first and foremost, allows me to drop in and get centered with myself. It's like, you know, even though I've been in program for over 10 years, I'm still very like, my brain loves to go back to the like harem scarum, you know, the constant like go, go, go mental chatter. And so I'd say first writing allows me to drop out of that. I'm a very, very heady person. Like I just love being in my head, you know, um, love some psychoanalysis. And that usually is not super helpful. Um, so writing for me has allowed the process to be from my head more down to like my heart and my body, which is actually where the connection to my higher power is. It usually never happens from my head. Um, there's like this kind of, you know, quote or whatever I've heard in program over the years, which is the same thinking that got me into the problem is not going to be the same thinking that's going to get me out of the problem or the solution. So, um, so the writing allows me to drop into the solution. Uh, so yeah, so I love writing, which it's funny that I'm saying this today because for so many years in program, I was so resistant to it. And even though I was in recovery, so just to give you some stats or, or numbers or whatever, I've been abstinent for seven and a half years and I may be down like 25 pounds. Um, and I do have some parameters around exercising and sugar and food and all that stuff that, that helped me stay in line with, with um, making better choices for myself. But the best thing I've done is just constantly be gentle and loving and kind to myself. But it took me a really long time, and thanks to some really wonderful sponsors in OA who encouraged me to treat myself that way. Um, and it was because I didn't treat myself so kind and loving and gently for so many years in program that I actually struggled with the writing because it would mean that I have to calm down and be quiet Tracy, enough. That's two minutes left. Thanks, Lisa. It, it means that I would have to like calm down and get quiet enough to fully become aware and take responsibility for the way that I was talking to myself and treating myself. 
Um, and so now I had this one sponsor in, in OA, like, I don't know, maybe six or seven years ago. And she had me do this thing where she said, there's just, there's going to be absolutely no more talk towards yourself that isn't kind and loving. If you wouldn't say it to me or a fellow or your daughter, I don't have a daughter, but if I were to envision one, um, then you're not saying it to yourself. Like, don't say it to yourself. And I started to talk to myself that way. And then that got translated into my writing when I journaled. Um, and it's just so nice to see myself treat myself better today because um, there was a lot of like shaming and blaming and guilting and, you know, just like not kind talk towards myself. So I, I can now see that come out in my writing. Like I will literally in my writing, write to myself lovingly. So that's been kind of something cool to see as well. So anyways, that's all I really have to say. Thank you so much, Rashad, for asking me to speak. I really appreciate it. And I'm glad that we're all on here together. Thanks. Thank you so much, Tracy. So now let's welcome Michelle. Michelle is gonna be speaking on the tool of literature. Uh, Michelle, please unmute yourself. And again, I'll let you know when you have two minutes. Hi, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Michelle. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, so good to see so many of you guys. Uh, I got abstinent in Los Angeles, um, so it's really good to see everybody. Uh, I think maybe I'll just start by sharing a little bit about how I came to OA. Um, I got sober in another program, and my sponsor at that time actually had a really good friend who was in OA, and so she gave me her number and was like, why don't you call her? And I thought to myself, I'm not just going to call somebody and tell them that I can't stop thinking about food and my body and exercise and how many calories I'm going to eat and when I'm going to eat it and when I'm going to exercise and how I'm going to burn it off. I'm like, I'm not doing that. Like, that's ridiculous. Um, so I got her number in, in 2010 and I just, um, uh, called her immediately and halfway through 2012. <laughs> so it took me a while to get to this, uh, at least even get, be willing to come to a meeting or reach out to somebody. And um, this woman listened to what I had to say and she um, met up with me. And while I sat, we sat in the back of a restaurant, busy restaurant in Santa Monica, and I cried into my sandwich and she just sat there with me and she uh, held a space for me uh, to just share what I was going through. And I knew that she understood. And um, and I didn't get abstinent right away. I had um, some abstinence and I lost it. And then I had some and I lost it. And um, so now I have about uh, almost five years of abstinence. And so I was fairly familiar with the big book, but when I went through the big book and applied it to my struggle with food, it actually made even more sense to me. And um, like the doctors, I was just kind of, I mean, it's kind of hard to talk on literature because for me, like I want to sit here and read for 10 minutes, like out of the book or, you know, read all the literature, but that's not going to happen. And actually um, we moved in February. And so I still haven't unpacked all my books, full disclosure, and I couldn't find my OA 12 and 12. So it's been like March, April, May, like three and a half months. Um, and I don't even know where it is, but also my other excuse is I also had a baby March 9th. So I really feel like 
not knowing where my 12 and 12 is, is actually okay right now. <laughs> um, but I have my, my big book that I'm reading out, out of with the sponsee right now. And, um, I just love the part in the doctor's opinion where it says men and women drink essentially because they like the effects produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot after a time differentiate the true from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks drinks which they see others taking with impunity. After they have succumbed to the desire again, as so many do, the phenomenon of craving develops. They pass through the well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. This is repeated over and over, and unless they can experience an entire psychic change, there's very little hope of recovery. And that's like really hard to read because as you can see, my book is like, all marked up. I can like barely read what's in there because I just love that so much. And when it says I need an entire psychic change, um, to me, that means I need a whole new shift in perception, something that's above my outside of myself to solve my problem because I tried to solve my problem with food, body, exercise, diet, and all of that for years before I came to OA. Um, my parents tried to send me to treatment when I was 17 and I didn't get abstinent until I was in my late twenties. Um, and, uh, and I had been trying that whole time to come up with a solution to my food problem. And it was, I could never do it on my own. I could never just do it with a therapist or just with a dietitian for me. Um, I needed something else besides myself. And, um, I was super resistant to OA and I would come to meetings and I would binge before and I would binge after, or I would go exercise for, I was still compulsively over exercising, but I kept coming to meetings. My sponsor is like, just come to meetings and work the steps and just keep coming back. And I did that. And that has been the single thing that I've done perfectly in this program. Everything else is uh, not perfect. Um, and, and I kind of, the, the literature, there are certain parts in the literature that that are black and white and I like that <laughs> so like where it says on page 53 we had to furiously face the proposition that either God is everything or he is nothing God either is or he isn't what is our choice to be like that's really simple like I like a simple solution and there is a part in the book I don't know what page it's on where it says most good ideas are simple and that's just like mind blowing to me because my idea of a food plan involves um, calories and macronutrients and micronutrients and um, weighing and measure. I mean, it involves so much that like for me and my brain is not healthy for me and it's not helpful uh, to my recovery. And so I like in the book, it's like, if I just rely on my higher power, I use the tools of OA, I come to meetings, um, I follow a program of recovery, um, I can get some solution that way. And, and also in the book on 86 through 88, like where it gives me instructions, like actual instructions on what to do in the morning and what to do at night. And thank goodness, because when I wake up, I'm like, I don't know, like, let me just start thinking about my body and it's like, or what I'm going to eat today. And you guys, I haven't done, I can't actually remember the last time I woke up and thought about what I was going to eat for the day, how I was going to lose weight, what my exercise plan was going to be. I cannot tell you the last day I woke up like that. And that's not um, magic. That's because I have a higher power that I rely on instead of myself. Um, I have a food plan that I follow. 
I have a sponsor. I go to meetings. I read the literature. You know, anyways, I do all, you guys know what all the tools are. Um, it's not uh, mysterious to me that, um, that that's my result today. And I'm so grateful for that. And I don't take it for granted, just because today I'm not thinking about that doesn't mean I can't do anything for my recovery. Like I do something for my recovery every single day. And I just want to share just the absolute miracle where it talks about how I know for me today that I've had a psychic change. So um, I got pregnant uh, last year in June. And of course, when you get pregnant, your body changes. And I thought to myself, um, these thoughts that I had uh, are just so beautiful. I was thinking, wow, my body is changing and I am gaining weight for the first time in my life. And it's not a bad thing. And that is, would be impossible without the program of Overeaters Anonymous. I mean, to be able to be appreciative that my body can do these things and love the experience of gaining weight five, six years ago, I wouldn't have been ready for that. I would have been <clears throat> completely distraught. And, um, and I actually ended up gaining like, not way more, but more than you're like supposed to gain. And I just uh, embraced it. Like that's, like, that's not me. Like that's not of me. That's not who I was. And that's who I am just for today, you know? And it's really contingent upon- Michelle, you have two minutes. Great, thank you. Uh, it's really contingent upon the maintenance of my spiritual condition. And that's how I know on a day-to-day -day basis, am I, am I checking in? Am I walking with God, uh, you know, based on how much I'm thinking about my, my food and my, my weight. And so um, it's just such a, it's such a, a miracle. And the reason I read that part in the book is just because I have had that entire psychic change. But again, like for me, it's a day at a time. And now, um, it's like, no, I don't struggle with food, body, exercise, weight on a daily, daily basis. Um, but I struggle with other things like negative thinking. And, um, like, I'm not like perfect now. Cause I don't think about that. I've kind of, you know, shift to other, uh, things, but, um, the, the result of working, uh, this program has given me, uh, space in my, in my mind to take care of my daughter and to be an example to her, uh, of not, not, just being able to live uh, a life free from this bondage of self and bondage of food and, and weight and body. And that is just the biggest gift and it's continued motivation uh, for me to uh, keep going with the program so that she has a shining example because I didn't have that growing up. My mom gained and lost the same hundred pounds 10 times by the time I was 18. Um, and so I didn't have that. Um, so that's why uh, it's just so beautiful that I can, I can have a new experience every day related to um, my recovery, and I can also share that with my family. So uh, I really thank you so much, Rashad, for asking me to speak. It's just so good to see all of you guys. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much, Michelle. I forgot to mention Michelle came to us all the way from Arizona. Thanks so much. Um, okay. So before our next speaker, we're going to have our OA announcements and let's welcome our fabulous host and special events chair, Rashad. Give it up for the guy that puts this all together. <laughs> thank you, Lisa. All right, well, thank you guys for coming. I appreciate all of you all for showing up for the event and showing up for your recovery. 
Um, we have three more speakers after the announcement, so don't drop off. This isn't the end. Uh, we're going to keep going. A quick reminder, this event is being recorded for our audio-only podcast, and we will do everything in, in our power to protect the tradition of anonymity. Um, let's give a special thank you to our lovely leader, Lee Sand. Um, and a very, very special uh, thank you to our technical co-host, our graphic designer, the brains really behind this whole thing, the Zoom bomb protector, uh, the person that kind of keeps this uh, as a safe and uh, smooth running space, Katie. Thank you so much, guys. It's a pleasure. Uh, I want to give a special shout out to our, uh, our um, LA Intergroup Chairperson, Jeff. I don't know if he's on the line or not, but uh, Jeff is really the brainchild behind these, special, uh, these online special events. And uh, I hold the position as the events chair, but it's definitely been Jeff that has been like, hey, do these events, because I, uh, I just want to sit at home and be alone, I guess. But um, thank you for asking me to be of service, Jeff, and thank you for these ideas. Um, for those who joined in late, don't forget to uh, exercise the seventh tradition with us. Um, the link uh, to uh, donate directly to OALAIG will be in the link uh, or in the chat. Katie, if you could drop that in there for me. If you're visiting from another area, it's really important to support your local intergroup. A lot of these intergroups are still paying rent or maybe even their office employees are paying for these Zoom accounts. Um, so do your part, do your seventh tradition. Um, we have a handful of upcoming events. Um, we have a sponsorship workshop hosted by our uh, or actually hosted by the virtual region and it's going to be Sunday uh, June 7th 2020 at 12 o'clock p.m. Pacific so I'll say that one more time grab your notepads or your pens and your paper write these uh, events down sponsorship workshop hosted by the OA virtual event Sunday June 7th uh, at 12 o'clock p.m. Pacific the OA uh, that Los Angeles intergroup is hosting a body image workshop on June 27th um, at 10 a.m. and then save the date. We always have our annual uh, 4th of July in the park. Um, we will do 4th of July. I don't know if it'll be in the park. Maybe it'll be in a virtual park, but save the date. Um, traditionally, we start, I think, around 8 or 9 a.m., I forget, but um, we will be working towards having our 4th of July in the park meeting. Um, for any of this information, access to our newsletter, our events calendar, access to the podcast feed, any of that stuff, you can visit oalaig.org. That's oalaig.org. Thank you guys so much for showing up. And I'll now turn the meeting back over to our leader, Lisa. Thank you, Rashad. So our next speaker is someone who I hold close to my heart. Um, she will be speaking on action plan. Please uh, join me in welcoming Emily from New York. Emily, and you, yourself, please. Hi. Uh, hi, I'm Emily. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, thank you, Rashad, for asking me to speak. Rashad asked me which of the tools I wanted to speak on. And I said action plan because it's one of the ones that is the most challenging for me. And I thought doing some thinking about it would help me with my own action plan. Um, and I have to say that during this crazy time that we're in right now, this has been so fundamental to my sanity and my spiritual connection. And um, basically just, uh, you know, those days when I wake up and right away, 
I'm thinking what an order I can't go through with it. Um, it gives me structure. So I'm actually down in Florida right now. Uh, I started away in Los Angeles and got married and moved to New York. And I am down in Florida right now staying with my parents. My dad's been dealing with um, a pretty aggressive cancer. And um, it has just, it's impacted me so much yet again, how much this plan of action is essential for me and how much it shifted for me from what I used to think it was. And um, my sponsor who is on this meeting will uh, definitely testify that um, it used to, to me, a plan of action basically just used to be like my to-do list and kind of in the, the same way that we, we exercise caution about a plan of eating that it doesn't just become like a diet or, you know, one of these fantasy things that all of us have had over and over and over again, I can make a plan of action, this like fantasy to-do list that is going to just make me the most sensational person in the world and solve all of my problems and is usually pretty ridiculous. Um, I, in talking with my sponsor, had several conversations where I just talked about how, how much anxiety I had at the end of the day because I couldn't get everything done. And finally she said, okay, well, why don't you send me your to-do list? And I sent it to her and she basically laughed in my face um, because it wasn't that any of the things on the list were not esteemable things, but my belief that I should be able to get all of these things done in a day was ridiculous and was a testament to my ego and to my, um, the, the unmanageability of my life. And now I understand that what a, what a plan of action does is it gives you know, we take the first step, we say we're powerless and our lives have become unmanageable. A plan of action, when it's been carefully reviewed um, by people who are wiser than me and who have some perspective, gives the power back to me to be able to have a chance to have sanity in my life. Um, and like I said, I can easily make it about the actions themselves and just make it yet another thing that I'm going to use to um, berate myself or, you know, just keep striving for things. Um, and what I have to remember is that the plan of action itself is not my higher power. Um, it helps me connect to my higher power. And especially on days where I wake up and I just feel like all I'm doing is reacting to the world and I don't have my bearings. I now have things in my day that I know when I re I'm going to return to them every day. And so they're going to ground me, even if I'm feeling like the world is caving in. I have things in my day that I know are esteemable things that will keep me on that path to being happy, joyous, and free, even when I don't feel that way. Um, and my feelings will lie to me all the time. So I need these achievable, measurable actions that will help me do that. Um, and I do just want to read part of what the, the OA um, world, whatever webpage says is a plan of action. An action plan is the process of identifying and implementing attainable actions. That's important, attainable, both daily and long-term that are necessary to support our individual abstinence and emotional, spiritual, and physical recovery. While the plan is ours, tailored to our own recovery process, most of us find it important to work with a sponsor fellow OA member and or appropriate professional to help us create it. This tool, like our plan of eating, may vary widely among members and may need to be adjusted as we progress in our recovery. 
Um, and one of the things that I found when I um, started writing about this and thinking about this is that there are a lot of really great tools online to help you shape your own um, plan of action. And uh, I definitely encourage you to, to look at that with your sponsor. Um, so I'll just talk about like what my plan of action sort of is and what it's done for me. Like I said, it gives me structure in my day and makes my life more manageable. Um, and it gives me balance. And that part is really important because as I said, it used to be that my to-do list was largely concentrated on like me achieving things that I thought would make me feel okay in the world and would give me status and would make me feel important and would make me feel like, you know, I, I have this constant fear that I have to keep in check and I have to turn over. I have this fear that I'm like wasting time. I'm wasting my potential. I'm, you know, wasting my life and I should be doing more and I should be being more. Um, and so it, it, it keeps me out of that. It helps me to deal with indecision, which is one of the, one of the things that definitely drives me to compulsive overeating. Um, I spent a lot of my childhood trying to people please. And I mean, of course it's still, it's still there. Um, but I would just constantly try to figure out, okay, what do I need to do for you to like me so that I feel like I'm okay in the world? Um, and when left to my own devices, I very often will just return to like reacting to the world around me and trying to figure out how I can be okay based on other people. But I have this action plan that I can return to um, so I don't have to dwell on that indecision, so that I don't have to go into the obsession because the same way that I obsess about food and you know what I should be doing with the food, I also can obsess about how I should be spending my time. So it keeps me out of that rumination and the indecision and the procrastination. And, um, and it just gives me something to return to. Like I said, when I feel like I'm not doing enough, that reminds me, oh no, I do have these certain things in my day that I do every single day um, that keep me on this path of recovery and keep me in connection to other people and keep me connected to my higher power. And it keeps me humble um, because it's not, you know, that, that endless to-do list of achievements. So I wanted to talk just a little bit, I guess, about how, because I feel like the plan of action also helps us sort of arrange the other tools in our lives. So a plan of eating, I mean, I definitely have in my day, like the general times when I know I'm going to be eating each meal. And that's also, that's particularly important for me because I'm in a profession where I travel a lot. I change time zones a lot. And so I have to plan um, so that I'm not in that indecision and that obsession. Um, and included for me in the plan of eating is thinking about like how I'm going to go gather my food because um, I can I can get into the task of going to the grocery store and want to go to like four different grocery stores in a row. So I have to have a plan in advance. Um, sponsorship. I need to know when I'm going to talk to my sponsor and my sponsees. So part of my like weekly plan is knowing on which days I'm going to talk to my sponsor and uh, planning when I'm going to be talking to my sponsees. Meetings. I have to know in advance which meetings I'm going to go to. And this was also something that my sponsor taught me because um, my schedule is constantly changing when I'm doing the work that I normally do, which I'm not doing right now. And so I would just sort of like choose meetings at random. And I didn't always have regular meetings that I was going to. And it seems so elementary, but it really minutes, changed Emily. Things. Thank you. 
when uh, you know, I had that, I knew which meetings I was gonna have in my week. And that's been particularly important during this time because when it came down to Florida and now I'm dealing with other people's schedules and family and all that, I still have those meetings that I know I'm gonna be you know, showing up on my computer screen and I need that. Um, I need to know part of my like daily action plan is to call three fellows. Um, I need to plan when I'm gonna do my writing, my literature, and for me, um, my literature comes first thing in the morning. Part of my daily plan of action is as soon as I wake up, I say the third step prayer. I read um, either on my phone or in one of my um, books. What are those things called? Non-digital. Um, I read different readings that get me connected to my higher power. Um, and then I also end my day that way. So I start out with a connection to program and to my higher power. For me, um, a plan of action has also helped me put boundaries around exercise. I know that I will be doing that most days, but it helps me keep boundaries around it so that it doesn't become a way for me to like check out of the rest of life or you know pursue this um, ridiculous goal of just more, more, more. Um, and service, it helps me to plan you know when how to be of service when uh, if I feel like that's one of my tools that's lacking. Um, I can put those things in my day in advance. It's revolutionary. Um, so, sorry, I'm trying to see what else I want to say in the little time that I have left. Um, oh, and I will also say that one thing that's been really helpful in my plan of action is ending my day with a nightly inventory, which I share with a fellow, because then it allows me to reflect back on how I have spent my time that day if I have done the things that I said I was gonna do. That's um, your time, Emily. Thank you, and review how I can perhaps do it better the next day. And it also reminds me that it's just one day at a time. So it's awesome to see all of you guys, and uh, I will end with that, thanks. Thank you, good to see you. Please uh, join me in welcoming our eighth speaker, Laura from Los Angeles. She will be sharing on uh, her experience with practicing anonymity. Laura, please unmute yourself. I'll let you know when you have two minutes. Okay, I'm Laura. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, and Rashad, thank you so much for asking me to participate in this. I have not done one of these 656 people Zoom workshops. It is phenomenal. Ah, oh, God, from the United Kingdom and all over these places. and. And the other speakers, I've heard so much recovery. It is really inspiring and wonderful. So um, I came to my first OA meeting May 3rd, 1988. I can't believe it. I've been abstinent 32 years. I can't believe it. As I say, I think I were lying, except I'm not, because um, how's it possible? So I haven't had sugar you know, in a recreational form. Um, for that long, which is one day at a time. And I was a binger. Um, so when I, and I've been maintaining about a um, 42 pound weight loss. Um, but it hasn't been a pure, smooth ride at all. Um, and anonymity is precious to me. It is sacred. I mean, it says it is the spiritual foundation. And 
of course, when I first came in, I couldn't understand what that meant. And I, I actually remember 32 years ago, I, you know, I forget a lot of things, but of course I remember sometimes what I ate with somebody, you know, 25 years ago. <laughs> I remember where we ate. I remember. When, um, but I remember being in a meeting. It was the maintainers meeting on Ohio Street in LA uh, some 30 years ago. And I heard this read, anonymity is this, principles, we place principles above personalities. And I thought, what on earth do you have to do that for? I was so in love with OA when I first got abstinent and I just was on one of those pink clouds and I thought, this is the most beautiful program. This is helping me. I, I got, I found God. I found a power greater than myself. Can you hear me by the way? Can you guys hear me? We can hear you, Laura. Go okay. ahead. Okay, good. Um, because I just all of a sudden realized I had the your face on and I didn't know. Okay, good. Not a problem. So, um, yeah, so we're sitting in that meeting on Ohio Street in those pews and I turned to somebody who had been absent five or 10 years, which seemed like forever to me. And I said, why do we have to have principles above personalities? Everybody here is so great. <laughs> Well, 32 years later, I, of course, now know why we need principles above personalities. Um, and, uh, and that's tied into the anonymity. Um, I learned to share at, the, uh, at a meeting level. And I have found over the years that sharing at meetings has helped me tremendously. Um, I learned the truth will set you free. And I know there are different levels of sharing. Personally, I've shared at a pretty personal level. And I'm not saying you should or you shouldn't. It's helped me um, because I don't know why, because, but to tell the truth, to really tell the truth has freed me and it's taken so much shame away from the thoughts I have, the feelings I have, the embarrassment um, of the character defects. And my re between this program and outside help with therapy, I, I am a different person. I, that, that other person, Laura, is still there. Little Laura or undeveloped Laura or immature Laura or scared Laura, all of that. But I, I've learned through um, these years of working the steps that, um, well, there is a solution without eating over it. And it's not just not eating, it's how do you live in abstinence? And so anonymity, I believed that what I said in meetings was not gonna be repeated. I truthfully don't know if people have repeated it, but I believe they didn't. And I believed when I called somebody who I didn't know or who I maybe met at a meeting once or who I heard speak, I believed that whatever I said to her or him on the phone would just stay there. And that belief allowed me to not eat because I would be calling or sharing because the feelings were so strong and so unpleasant, really uncomfortable, anger, 
anxiety, sadness, longing, excitement, such big feelings that unless I found a new way to deal with those feelings, different from, without eating, I would eat or I would get depressed and even feeling depressed at times. So, um, and it was talking to you guys was different than talking to a good friend because we were, the responses I usually got, now there were variations, believe me, over all these years, I heard a lot of things under the Conan anonymity that didn't work, that they might've felt some, I felt impatience, I felt judgment, I felt exasperation sometimes, but not that much. And um, I still believed in the power and the sacredness of anonymity. And, uh, Oh, so what the difference between talking to you guys and to talking to a good friend who wasn't in program is we have the steps and we go to God. And um, it was so reassuring. And to be able to say, like even to Rashad, when he said what time, when, he, when I talked to him a couple of days ago and I said, well, when am I speaking? And he said, probably after one. And I said, you know, well, I do have to eat lunch. I've got to plan my lunch. Because I normally eat lunch between 1.30 and 2. And after 2, it starts to get a little dicey. 2.10 is okay. And I don't think about it that much anymore, but I know what works for me. So I love that I could tell this guy who I've never met, who I've only spoken to on the phone once or twice, and uh, tell him that. And he laughed and he understood what I was talking about. So, and to be able to call somebody from a list and tell them that you want to eat and that you're really, you're having a hard time with your brother or your sister, or I'm so, I don't know if that guy's going to call back and I want him to. And all of those things that I went through for the last 32 years, I've now been married seven, I think it's 17. And I have a, a child or a, a son, I guess he's not, he's 21. I can't believe I'm saying this because I remember back, 30 years ago when I wanted all that, when I wanted that and I thought I'd get it once I lost weight and all the feelings and- Laura, the... you have two more minutes. Okay. So we get to walk through it um, without eating and the, what else can I tell you about anonymity? Um, something magical happens and I guess that's, you know, that is spiritual. Uh, when I feel I can tell my truth and somebody then doesn't come back to me about it later. And we have these steps and we have these tools and we have these traditions. And I get reminded from strangers about God and the power and that I'm not in charge and um, I'm really grateful for that. I'm really grateful for all of you guys. I, my number will be up there. Rashad will put it up there. Call me anytime. I might not answer anytime, but you can always leave a message. It's my cell. And I'm, I would love to help you the way you guys have helped me and the ones who have gone before us have helped me. So thanks for letting me be part of this. Laura, thank you so much for your share. We appreciate it. It's good to see you here. Um, okay. Okay, 
So our final speaker today, uh, one of my favorite people from LA, David. David is gonna be sharing his experience on service. Welcome, David. I'm David, I'm a compulsive overeater. Uh, thank you, Rashad, for asking me to share. It's an honor to be here. These shares have been amazing. And um, you know what really my experience listening to all the other shares and my experience in OA for the last 12 years is this is not a one size fits all program. And what works for me could kill you and what works for you could kill me. And that's true of abstinence, that's true of tools, it's true of how I work my program. 12 steps are the solution. Solution and my how I, you know, work and work the tool is different for everybody. And um, just to qualify, I've been in OA uh, for 12 years. I came in when I was 20. Um, I'm coming up on 10 years of abstinence. My abstinence is no binging, no purging, no flour, and no sugar. And um, I eat three meals a day. And, you know, when I came into OA and when I started getting a sponsor and my first few sponsors, it was really hammered into me that I'm selfish, I'm self-centered, and I have to be of service. And, you know, it says all over the big book, working with another, you know, alcoholic or compulsive overeater is the, you know, solution to our problems. And, you know, that really worked for me in the beginning, that idea that I never say service request. I always say yes. Um, the extent that I'm willing to be inconvenienced in my service shows how spiritually fit I am. And, um, but then as I started to unpack you know, my, my story and my, my ism, you know, I've had to learn how to say no. And that's the hardest thing for me. And, you know, for other people, some of my sponsees, other people who I help, they may need to learn how to say yes and show up. I need to, you know, say no more. And, you know, for those of you who don't know my story, I grew up on Long Island in a very perfect looking family, dad, doctor, mom, psychologist, um, Cold Spring Harbor, you know, everything perfect on the outside, but a lot of ism, a lot of alcoholism, a lot of affairs and drug abuse and um, physical abuse and sexual abuse. And what I learned at a age no, I am to protect me. My dad's only going to hurt me. And I became a super vigilant, hypersensitive, you know, listening to how my dad walks in at night um, person. And you know, to combat his physical abuse of the family, I was always the one who was giving away myself to make sure everybody else is okay. And um, Yes, when I came into OA, I was very selfish and self-centered, but it's really this self that my character created was built around self-preservation, and I needed to learn that. And, you know, I, I remember when my dad lost custody, I was probably seven years old, and then as a true overeater, compulsive, you know, person, I didn't talk to him for 15 years, but um, I remember when I came home with my mom, she said, you're the man of the house now. And I'm seven years old just thinking like, this is too much, I don't know how to do it. And you know, I remember like those, the very early childhood years, dinner was cookie dough that I made by myself. And like, 
every meal was every man for themselves. And like, I just didn't have any tools. And very quickly I became the fat kid in school and I got picked on, I was bullied, you know, for years and didn't learn how to have social skills, didn't have, you know, girlfriends or friends. Like for me, the food was always there. And, you know, the food worked for me until it stopped working for me. And that's what happens as a compulsive reader or addict or whatever. I cross an invisible line and the thing that used to work for me no longer works for me. And my favorite uh, quote in all the literature is in the AA 12 and 12 and step four, how it says creation gives me instincts for a purpose. So I have this instinct for sex, for security, to be a member of society and they're God given instincts. So these instincts are good, but what happens as an overeater or as an addict is you know, my instinct gets warped and then my greatest natural asset turns into my greatest liability. So for me, it was that instinct for emotional security, just feeling as a kid, like I'm not safe, I'm not okay, I can't trust my parents. It's every man for themselves. I live in a war zone. And the food, you know, helped me deal with that instinct um, that I'm not okay. And when, by the time I came into OA, um, I binged and purged and drank my way through college. I went to five colleges in four years, had never been in a relationship, hadn't spoken to my dad in 15 years. And I was living in Manhattan, going from every single Whole Foods, just binging, 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 binging. And on my phone, calorie counting, how many thousands of calories I binged that day. And then I'd go down to my gym and I wouldn't leave the gym until the calories of my binge matched the calories on the treadmill. So I was at the gym for five, six hours a day. Um, and by this time, like my, I no longer had friends. Nobody trusted me to show up for anything because it was all about me and all about food. And how was I going to get rid of it? And how much did I have that day? And I have, you know, the first journal entry from the day before I got abstinent. And it's all just numbers and calculations and dried mangoes and banana chips and dried pineapple rings and one whole jar of almond butter. That's all I cared about. Like, how much food was I putting inside my body? And what were people thinking about me? And how was I going to get rid of it? And, you know, when I came into OA and hit a bottom and started working with a sponsor, um, you know, I started hearing these things like, you got to be of service. Okay, that's great. But I can't trade something that I haven't got. So what do I have to offer anybody? I have nothing. You know, when I came in, I was at a bottom all across the board in relationships, my food, my alcoholism. Like, I just had nothing to offer. And, um, you know, my sponsor used to say, well, go to a meeting and get there early and offer to be the timer. And like, even that was hard for me. And the more that I did it, the more that I built self-esteem. You know, we hear in the program, we, we build self-esteem by doing esteemable acts. So I started being the timer. I would be set up. And you guys, you got to understand, I was so scared of people, places, and things. Throughout college, if I had to take a, cl like a class where I gave an oral presentation, I would just drop the class. And um, I used to write my shares on index cards in OA meetings and because I was so scared of what people thought about me. And then I'd share. And, you know, I started sharing more. And the more that I shared, the more I felt connected. And then the more I wanted to come back and, you know, I would do a little more service and a little more service. And then I would binge. And then, you know, I, I would lose my commitment. And, you know, this program learns me how to take contrary action and have smart feet and show up regardless of what I'm feeling. And 
the more that I did that, the more that I started to um, have something that other people wanted. So I would share and people would start asking me to speak at a meeting and that was so hard for me. And then the more that I spoke at meetings, the more that people wanted me to sponsor them. And by the time I went through the first you know, round of 12 steps, I've now been through the 12 steps like seven times. But the first time, you know, I finished, I was speaking, I was sponsoring, I was, you know. If you five, have two more minutes. Thank you. Five meetings a week, five commitments at all the meetings. And very quickly, I turned into Mr. Service. And within six years, I had 17 spots. I was, you know, speaking at three meetings a week. And I lost my mind. And, you know, what I've learned after 10 years of abstinence is I have to give from my overflow and not from my reservoir. And I have to fill up David and I have to get served by my sponsors and my steps and my meetings so that I can give to others. And you know, this whole, I, I took one note down, it's, it's from the AA uh, big book that says something like we have, to, we have to make sure that other people know that we have to put the welfare of others before ourselves. That may have worked for alcoholics in their first three years of sobriety when they wrote the big book, but me as an adult child of alcoholics who gives my power away to everybody, no. I have to learn how to keep it for myself so that I have overflow so that I can give to others. And how do I practice these principles in all my affairs? Like I'm now married, I'm an amazing you know, marriage. How do I show up for my wife? How do I show up for my family? You know, my dad, after not seeing him for 15 years, gave the toast at my wedding. How do I learn how to be a good son today? You know, I learned in this program that, you know, it's a parent's job to teach a child how to live, but it's a child's job to teach a parent how to die. And, you know, I show up for my dad today in his, in his dying years and give him the dignity of being a father again. And everything I've learned in how I show up in the world, I've learned from OA. Um, this program has taught me how to be a husband, how to be a sponsor, how to be a friend, how to be a worker among workers, like how to be somebody in society who feels that he has something to offer. So I am so grateful for this program. And, um, you know, I learned in another program that I can't stay clean if I live dirty. That's your time, David. Just and, you know. uh, I'll just end there. So thanks for letting me share. So on behalf of the Los Angeles Intergroup, I would like to thank each of our speakers for sharing their experience, strength, and hope with us. Please join us for fellowship after the meeting. Uh, and please remember that no individual represents OA as a whole, and anonymity is the foundation of our program. What you hear here, what you see here, when you leave here, let it stay here. Here, here. <laughs> but let's all thank our speakers. Awesome job, you guys. So great. So amazing. Love you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So while the tools help us work our program one day at a time, we must never forget that the solution is in the steps. Um, I would like to ask BC to read the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. Be compulsive over overeater and bulimic, the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood God. Four, made a searching and fearless and moral and of ourselves, 
fathom God for ourselves and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked God to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood God praying only for knowledge of God's will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, B. All right. So, um, again, thank you to all our speakers. Thank you for everybody who stepped in to participate by reading. Rashad, thank you so much for asking me to do this. It was an honor and a privilege. I appreciate it. And after a moment of silent meditation for, for the compulsive overeater who still suffers, please unmute yourself and join me in the serenity prayer.